Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live, multi-speed technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Gary from Northwest New Jersey starts us out this hour. Hey, Gary, welcome into the program. Hi, Noah. How are you? Excellent, sir. How can we help you tonight? Yes, I have a question. Uh, I volunteer in my local fire department. It's a rural community in northwestern New Jersey, and we're looking to do two things, uh, digital signage and outdoor security cameras. Uh, now, the digital, the, the digital signage, what we're looking to do is uh, you know, community news and also uh, to sell ads as a uh, revenue generator for a volunteer fire department. Um, with regard to enclosures, we can build it. But what I'm really looking to do is um, uh, it's hard to find good information out there. So, for example, uh, where to buy the signs, uh, dot matrix types or the plasma types. I'm not sure which ones go outside or not. So that's where I'm looking to go at. Well, you've got a number of different options ahead of you, Gary, as I'm sure you've probably uh, probably come to realize. It's a bit of information overload. Um, the the easiest and most simplest way to go is obviously to take a regular LCD display and put it inside of an outdoor enclosure. Now, that's going to be the least expensive route to go, and it's going to be the simplest route to go. Um, in that scenario, you would use something like uh, PySignage, and PySignage.com, essentially, it's a... It's a service-based, but it doesn't cost anything. And you flash their software onto a Raspberry Pi, and you create an account. And then that way, what you can do, Gary, is you can actually just update your account on this website, and then it will push all of that information out to all the signs. Or rather, the other way around, the Pies will go and reach out and retrieve the newest content. So that's the easiest, most simple way to get off the ground. Now, you can get a, you can obviously go a little bit further in depth. So, for example, you mentioned Dot Matrix. One of the nice things about Dot Matrix is any true, very uh, professional, robust design is going to utilize um, uh, essentially the signs that have tiny little LEDs, which I think is what you're referring to as Dot Matrix, right? And um, that's going to be the most robust sign. If you went to a company like the one that I'm familiar with is Dactronics, now, that's because I live up here in, in North Dakota, and so obviously we do a lot of business with them. But uh, they produce signs that go on the interstate and signs that go um, inside of large sports arenas and stuff like that. Now, those are going to utilize, um, as you put it, dot matrix or essentially individual LEDs that compose to make up the, the letters and the text and so on and so forth. The problem with doing that, Gary you're not going to run that off of a Raspberry Pi, right? It has special software. It usually has special hardware to control it. Um, and so you lose a lot of your flexibility. You're essentially, at that point, you are, um, at that point, you are, you're essentially purchasing a, a product and using it. Also in the chat room, I guess there's a gentleman that manages a Dactronic sign. So hope maybe he could even chime in with some insight into what it takes to, um, to get those things up and running. But based on what you've described to me in, in both your call today, and I also, uh, you referenced the Telegram message that you sent. So I went and looked that up. Uh, uh, going back and referencing that, I would say you're probably your best uh, choice, especially if you want to keep it under that 5K, 
is probably to look into actually enclosing an LCD screen. You can do that for under five hundred dollars. Oh, okay. Okay, that sounds good. Um, how big a screen would you recommend? I would go no smaller than thirty-seven inches. Um, it obviously the, the the larger the screen, the further away you're going to be able to see it. But if you're if you're looking at like when we do uh, digital signage to welcome people into an event center. Um, we've got 37-inch screens that we put in portrait mode, and we put those on the windows for people to see, and, and that's what people see walking up to the venue. So if you want people to see it driving by, uh, you probably want to be north of 37 inches. Okay. Okay, great. So uh, I will uh, look for some uh, enclosures and then uh, uh, make a proposal to them. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And I'll tell you what I'll do, Gary. I will go ahead and uh, I will throw some links for you to some of the enclosures that we've used in the past. I'll have those in the show notes for you, so you can check those out at podcast.asknoahshow.com, and uh, I'll try and save you some of the research. Again, you too can join the conversation, add your voice to the program at one 855 450 That's 855-450-6624. The email, of course, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard, become a part of the program. Now, Alessandro Castellani is his name. He's the full stack developer and graphic designer for Akira. And my guest this hour on the Ask Noah show. Welcome to the program. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time to be here. This is one of the most exciting interviews I think I've done in a long time because for two reasons. One is I think it's a very exciting project. And the second thing is it's very much out of my wheelhouse. It's not something that I am I'm familiar with. Um, and as I was watching this project and I was talking to a couple of my producers about it, we all were kind of sitting down and going, wow, this is amazing that this product exists. <laughs> Um, so I guess for those who are not familiar with Akira, give me the 30-second elevator pitch. What is Akira UX? What is that project and what does it do? Yes, absolutely. So Akira is the Linux design tool. It's what wants to be. It's basically uh, wants to achieve, um, it wants to give the Linux designers the ability to have the same slick workflow and experience that you have from proprietary softwares like Sketch, Figma, or Adobe XD, something that currently on Linux we don't have. We have GIMP and Inkscape, which are amazing design tools, but the workflow is really old, outdated, and they're not comparable at all to proprietary software. Outstanding. So I, when I got into software development, and I'm not a software developer by trade, it's just some. It was one of the courses I was required to take back in college. I started mm -hmm. with Visual Basic, and one of the nice things about Visual Basic was I could visually see what I was creating. And mm -hmm. when I got into software development on Linux, I all of a sudden felt very, I don't know, disconnected maybe, because I felt like yeah. all of the code was there, and then I would have to essentially run it to see what everything looked like. Does Akira kind of approach software design similarly? Uh, not really. I mean, Akira, uh, the main purpose is to create user interfaces. It's not to create code. So what you do with Akira, you handle SVG. So everything is vector-based. You create your user interface, your uh, uh, logos, uh, banner graphics, whatever type of graphic you want to do from web to actual desktop interfaces. But then the output you can export in just a raster format like JPEG, PNG is not to actually speed out code. It's just for designers to create their design files. And then on top of this, so you could write actually, so for example, I'm familiar with Python. I could write Python underneath and then I could design a UX or a, a, a user interface for my Python code on top of it. 
yes, that's something that is going to happen in the future. Hopefully, we want to create this sort of like abstraction level of plug-in, uh, pluggable uh, in like interfaces or pluggable additions that you can add in whatever language you write. We don't want to limit the language that user can use in order to extend the functionalities of Akira. Why not fork an existing project or why not contribute to an existing project? It seems like you started over from scratch. Was there a reason behind that? Oh, yeah, many reasons. I actually tried a couple of years ago to start contributing to Inkscape and GIMP. The problem with those tools is that they're amazing tools, absolutely nothing against those, but uh, they've been around for 20 years. The code base is massive. It's written in C++. Some of those things, those sections are still like with the original source code from early 2000. And the it's not about what the software can do. It's about the workflow that you want to give the users the ability to use. And in order for me to create something competitive and equal in terms of functionalities and features to Sketch and Figma, Adobe XD, I, I needed to completely change the user interface of GIMP and Inkscape. So it's something that I would never be able to pass like a pull request or submit new code. It would be rejected, absolutely. So it was actually easier to start a new project from scratch in order to have a linear, like a, a lighter code base and start right from the get-go with a proper workflow. That makes a lot of sense. What kind of packaging are you offering for Akira? If people want to try this out, if they want to play with it, is it available in a snap or a flat pack or a deb or they have to compile from source? Okay, for now it's not available, unfortunately, anywhere. You can compile it from source from the GitHub repository, but in a couple of months, we're planning to release the actual first version and we're going to release it on pretty much every distribution type ever. So by default, it's going to be available as a Debian package with a daily updated PPA, then as a flat pack. And we already have a snap packaging uh, automated script that works. We're looking for contribution for app images because that's the main purpose. We want to allow every users on every distribution ever to test Akira as easier as possible. I read that you were originally going to go with Qt and you've since decided to go with GTK. Now that's an interesting decision. Could you elaborate on that? Oh yes. <laughs> so Qt, I, I tried, it was pretty terrible. So first of all, Qt, it's I wanted Akira to be fully free and open source, uh, even with the source code and with the coding language used. And Qt is somewhat open source. It's not really completely open source. They have a proprietary uh, commercial variation of Qt, and then there's the community edition of Qt. So it's kind of like foggy from that point of view. And also I was having a lot of issues in actually coding in Qt. Gets As soon as you start, creating something more complex, it gets really verbose and has the same logic as C++, which is kind of terrible, unfortunately. I'm sorry if there's any C++ developer out there that is going to hate me, but C++ is really terrible. It gets out of hand super quickly when you have something complex. GTK, uh, the toolkit is way easier and way more approachable. And uh, I also decided to use Vala instead of C, which is a way simpler language with like the learning curve of Vala is kind of like pretty much flat. Everyone can use it, everyone can approach it. So that's why I decided to shift from Qt to GTK. If people want to contribute to Ikea either in code base or if they want to make a monetary contribution to fund the development, uh, where would you send them? 
So first of all, if you want to give us money, please do. We have a Kickstarter campaign currently running. We still have a couple of weeks to reach our goal. So you can go to Kickstarter and search for Akira, the Linux design tool. We're the only one, of course. Uh, everything else is on GitHub. So we have the Akira UX organization, which inside you can find three repositories with the Akira project and two Canvas libraries that we're building from scratch. Uh, you can contribute code, you can contribute design, you can contribute even like user testing from the front end because we want to be sure that our user interface is as accessible and easy to learn as possible compared to the other softwares. Alessandro Castellani is his name, full stack developer and graphic designer for Akira. My guest this hour on the Ask Noah show will have links for you to both the Kickstarter and the project on GitHub in the show notes. Check those out at podcast.asknoahshow.com. Alessandro, thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Dale, Illinois. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Noah. Hey, how are uh, we doing? I'm not... Oh, doesn't get any better than this, does it? <laughs> I'm, not tr I'm trying to take and make a image of a Linux drive and... I'm not having very good success uh, using some of the uh, recommended programs. Of course, everybody has got their own idea of the way you should do it. But uh, I had a hard drive in my system, and I'm thinking, okay, if this system was to go belly up, why don't I have an ISO image of this uh, particular machine and store it on a thumb drive or a somewhere else. However, um, I'm not having uh, much success uh, doing that, and uh, maybe you have a recommendation on a program uh, that or software that would work to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So I understand you told my call screener you've tried CloneZilla, but you need the image to compress? Well, I, I tried, yeah, I've tried CloneZilla, but if you have a 600, let's just say a 600 gig drive, and you try to put that onto a 500, you it won't go. I guess oh, I see what you're saying. So it's not compression of the stored image. You you're saying you want to be able to write that that image back to a drive in smaller in size. Like if you take an image from a 512 gig drive, you decide I don't need a 512 gig drive. I could get by with the 256. You want to be able to write that yeah. image back. Uh, that's that's one scenario, yes. Okay, yeah, there's unfortunately, there's really no way that I'm aware of to do that on Linux. It, you're basically stuck um, with uh, with uh, with maintaining that drive size. Now, the reason that I've always not found that to be much of an issue is because, frankly, I've always found a way to upgrade drives. If I run out of space, I'm always thinking, well, it's time to upgrade the drive. But unfortunately, uh, there is something that the... Uh, clonezilla people are working on and so they tell me in the future it will be possible to write that drive or write that image to a drive the other thing you could do have you looked into lvm at all hello hi can you hear me yes ha i can hear you have you looked into lvm at all what I was, uh lvm uh no i have not so I'll, I'll put a link for you in the show notes uh, for this, Dale, and I think this could be the answer. It, it's kind of a workaround. It's not really a, a great answer. But what you can do with LVM is you can take an image of the actual partition 
and then you can you can take make that partition as large or small as you want because it's LVM you can, you'll be able to resize it now clonezilla will only see that single partition and so you can put a larger drive or a smaller drive in it still won't completely solve your problem because if you ever decide that you want to run the drive on a smaller on a smaller drive that can't support that partition obviously uh, that you're still going to be in the in the same spot. So, I, and I apologize, I don't have a better answer for you. Unfortunately, the technology just at this point doesn't exist. Now, our next guest is Mark Provitt. He is a community outreach for Southern California Linux Expo online at SoCalLinuxExpo.org, and a guest this hour on the Ask Noah Show. Uh, Mark, welcome into the program. How are you, sir? Hi. Thanks. Glad to be here. Hey, we're happy to have you here. So for those who aren't familiar, give me the 30-second elevator pitch. What is SCALE? Okay. Uh, SCALE is the Southern California Linux Expo. We are uh, essentially the flagship of the uh, Linux Fests, which have gone back to God, probably the 90s now. Much like uh, other Linux Fests, we started out as a collection of Southern California area Linux users groups getting together and sort of, you know, showcasing Linux in ways we could find. And uh, we've grown a lot since then. And we've been all volunteer and largely Linux users group, still a lot of people from them volunteer. It's a lot like you'd go to any other conference, except it's way more technical than marketing. One of the things that comes up a lot when we talk about Linux conferences is if you're only going to attend one, scale is oftentimes the choice for people that are going to attend just one conference in a given year. What makes scale different than some of the other Linux fests and why might it be the choice for somebody if they're only going to attend one? It's really big. It's in a nice place, Pasadena. It's got all of the vendors you'd see at uh, any of the other conferences. One of the cool things about the Linux Fests, like especially Linux Fest Northwest, and is uh, it's very laid back, and that laid back feeling is like it's felt from just the attendees to the vendors. Everybody's really chill. Scale is is a lot like that, except on a much bigger scale. It's a laid back show. Everybody's super friendly. Everybody's super technical. There isn't a lot of high pressure sales. In fact, it's kind of discouraged because the a lot of the times when you go to a Linux Fest, especially, you're there for the technical acumen and learning new things and learning about new things, learning new tricks, not necessarily learning new products and getting new business, but definitely finding out new ways to do things or finding out new tricks, stuff like that. In a lot of ways, scale is no different. The coolest thing I find about scale is when I'm there, I'm always seeing people I haven't seen in a million years from all around the country, all around the globe, um, and they're all... Not all of them, but like a lot of times you'll just run into people who are like world famous hackers and you're just like, wow, and it's not DEF CON, you don't have to like hide your wallet. It's like just an endless fountain of interesting and valuable conversations everywhere you turn. In fact, one of my favorite things is when you do go like to the vendor booths, like the expo floor is totally my favorite place because like there's awesome swag, there's awesome companies. And my favorite part is when you find one of these companies and you start talking to them and you have questions about their products and you, uh, it's so easy to ask technical questions because the most bored people in the booths are the marketing people because they're, they're like, we, came to sell stuff but all you have is technical well let me get you to my sales engineer let me get you my engineer and the engineers are having a great time because hey it's all linux heads and they're all not there for the money they're there for the knowledge and frankly that's really the soul of of scale and linux fest in general 
I love that characterization. It's about the community. It's not about making money off the backs of the Linux community. And I, I love the way that that uh, I love the way that that feels. And I love that the way that that actually plays out. Ha again, having been to scale numerous times, that's one of my favorite aspects. In fact, I'd go as far as to say it's how I personally judge the quality of a conference is what my perception of the connection into the community and as you so eloquently put walking around in those networking abilities to meet people and and see things i'll give you an example one of my favorites mark is uh, facebook mm. of all places right and the mm, thing that mm -hmm. is so cool about facebook is they've come up with this new modular server and rack infrastructure oh yeah yeah open hardware yeah and you can't find this anywhere else i mean you can find some documentation online and you can see some videos but if you actually want to see it in person and you don't work at facebook i don't know how many other opportunities you'll have to do this i certainly can tell you without a shadow of a doubt they have not been at any other linux fest i've been to but they are at scale yeah. i've seen them there i think the last three years Damn. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you totally can. You can totally see like their their op their specs for their hardware is open. You can totally like get into the the nitty gritty of like if you're into IC and PCB design, you can get into the the FPGAs and figure out or 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 at least get like the specs or the links to go and dig deep into that rabbit hole as you want. And uh, I mean that's really that that sort of hits the heart of it too, right? Because Linux isn't necessarily about companies so much as it is about the people who contribute. And so when you get to scale and you have all these companies there, really it's about the people in those companies who can contribute. And I think of it less about networking, although you can certainly do a lot of that there. So much. I mean, for me, it's really just the personal journey. Like I know, I the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And frankly, getting into a room full of people who know so much more than I do makes me feel like I have such a great opportunity to learn. And ha having like this, the size of scale and the sheer amount of vendors and engineers, even the ones who aren't there to, um, even the ones who are just sent there, who, who are visiting there, just random conversations you have in the hallways between talks, even before and after talks, the, this is a sheer amount of, like, just don't leave without a notepad because you're going to learn so much. One of my favorite aspects, I think, of going to any Linux Fest, and Scale is certainly no exception, in fact, it probably exemplifies this better than, than many others, is oftentimes in our particular career field, we are often the smartest people in the room, right? We're the guys mm. that everybody else looks to and all of our colleagues come in. There, hey, you're that Linux guy. You know about the Linux side. Can you fix this thing or that thing? Or maybe they've got a free NAS server and nobody really understands how that works. But that so-and-so, he's the guy that does all the Linux Unix stuff or whatever. We'll have him look into that. The ability to go to a conference and not be the smartest person in the room, to have somebody to look up to, to have somebody to ask oh, your yeah. questions to, the things that you don't understand, that's incredibly valuable. And you don't, you cannot get that kind of community experience if you're not there in person. Yeah. I mean, there's pockets of it at other shows always. I mean, like I'm always seeking out people I can learn from, right? Uh, I was told a long time ago, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So yeah. And compared to other shows, I guess, I don't go to like a ton of other shows, but Compared to other shows that I've been to, especially, it's so much easier to find that conversation that you're looking for that either applies to something you're working on or applies to something you're learning on your own. And you'll find like two or three or five people who are all like deep into the sauce. And more often than not, you'll find somebody who's actually an active contributor to a pro project you're trying to work with. That's like a piece of gold right there because you can just ask so many questions and get so much. I mean, and if you can, if you have any coding chops, you suddenly you have a whole new way to like maybe get PR submitted, 
get traction on features you've wanted. Um, there's no bottom to that pit. Some people are like have laser focus. Some people really just want to float across the top of a bunch of different topics. And the atmosphere at scale is so pressure free and knowledge oriented that it's it's easy to get in where you fit in. You've mentioned a couple of times that scale is big, and I agree with that. It's absolutely ginormous. Can you give us an idea of the actual size of scale? And so I guess to frame that question a little bit better, Southeast Linux Fest is in a conference hall in a single hotel. Linux Fest Northwest is essentially in a single building at a technical college. Give us an idea of the venue of scale and how big it is. Oh, okay. Uh, well, scale is takes place in the Pasadena Convention Center in the entirety of two uh, full buildings. Um, one of them has two floors. Uh, this The building the to the, I think it's south, actually had, I think the Pasadena Convention Center is three main buildings and scale is in two of them. The main building scale is in, it takes over the whole of the building is all of the convention hall, the um, some of the talk rooms. I wish I had a number for you. Um, and then the other room is entirely talks and uh, workshops. Um, the ham radio operators set up in there. And if you're a ham, Scale's a great place to hang out because they even have like certification tests going on there for your licenses. Um, and they and they have their own room. It's huge compared to other Linux Fest for sure. Definitely huge because Linux Fest in Northwest. Is a beautiful show, wonderful show, and it takes place with uh, culinary arts providing the meals, and it's an amazing time, but it's nothing compared to the size of scale, and it's hard to overstate how big the, the venue is. It's really, there's really a lot going on. There's thousands of people, and every one of them is your people if you are definitely come from a systems or a coding background, especially if you have passion for Linux and free and open source software. It's a mecca. You roll out phase three power to exhibitors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the power and the networking has come a long way in the few, last few years. We used to have all drops. Now it's mostly wireless. But even still on a wireless network of that size, I'd think that there would be like some kind of some kind of hiccups. But in the, the years that we've had wireless, I think it was last year and the year before, it's been pretty seamless. Uh, the the tech team has always been made of like top notch volunteers, a lot of them, and they all know their crap and they all really, really lay it down really well every year. The Wi-Fi team in the past, I'm not sure if they're doing that this year, but primarily took open source software and flashed commodity hardware to create an enterprise level Wi-Fi system that rivaled anything from Cisco or, or Ruckus. Um, is that still what they're planning on doing? Do you happen to know? I don't happen to know, but that is right. The UFOs that they were using, I can't remember the, what they were called. They were uh, custom firmware. And like I said, it was, it was, it was remarkable because it worked so well. I think that that was probably, it's one of those things like, especially in the systems engineering, if nobody notices the systems engineering until something breaks, it was sort of that kind of experience. There was, the wireless worked so well, nobody really had any complaints. That speaks volumes to the level of acumen they brought to the, they brought to bear to bring that network together. It was amazing. 
Absolutely. And having been to other conferences and seen some of the problems that crop up on the public Wi-Fi network, I can personally attest to the fact that those guys really know what they're doing. Now, you touched on ham radio, and I think that's going to be a big thing for our audience because we're primarily composed of the makerspace and the, and the tinkerers. Oh, yeah. I myself am a ham radio operator, have been for years, absolutely love the hobby, have talked about various things about the hobby on the show. This is a place, Scale is a place where you can come and experience your hobby in a different way. Because in addition to the radio and RF side, there is the open source and Linux side and how those two come together. Software-defined radio, tools on Linux specifically built to run your ham radio, log your ham radio contacts. That's a cool experience. And there's experts and contributors who go who are so insightful. I mean, it's ridiculous how sort of a golden age for knowledge sharing in the sense that Linux has run the internet since forever now. Everybody's tired of fighting it. It just sort of is. So now people are free to just share and build on the tools that they've got. And SDR, Software Defined Radio, is um, no exception. They do wild experiments. They do wild. They have wild gear. It. It. They're. You're encouraged to bring your own gear. It's. It's a ridiculously good time. What is the cost to attend scale? If somebody's coming in off the street, what is it going to set them back monetarily speaking? It's less than a hundred bucks. It's like eighty-five bucks, or or twenty bucks if you just want the expo pass. If you're going to go into the new store, it's like eighty-five bucks. I think that's pretty much the entirety of the show, all of the days, and then you're off with races. To put that in perspective, OSCON, LinuxCon, I mean, you're up there with, essentially, you need your company to sponsor you if you're going to go. Most people don't write those checks Mm -hmm. out of their back pocket. And I... I guess I would argue that this is a conference of similar size, of similar caliber, definitely has almost all the same vendors. You know, you've got the Red Hats, you've got the Facebooks, you've got the Googles that are coming out um, to exemplify what they're doing. Microsoft is there most years. All of those same experiences, all of those same opportunities to talk to these people at a fraction of the cost. Uh, and it's better people, too, because you're not paying like 800 bucks to go talk to a sales guy. You're, you're going to talk to actual engineers, and that's priceless as far as I'm concerned. Because, I mean, if only education was all, ever, always so accessible, you know what I'm saying? You're not paying to be marketed to, right? You're paying to be no, able, exactly. You're paying to be able to geek out with other geeks. The venue for scale used to be in Los Angeles, and you've yeah, since near LAX. Yeah, and you've since moved the past couple of years to the Pasadena Convention Center. Talk about the advantages of experiencing scale at the Pasadena Convention Center. We were in the LAX area in quite a different, quite a number of different hotels, um, which we kept outgrowing, and I think. We largely we moved to the Pasadena Convention Center because it was big enough to hold our attendance. And um, but I don't really know, like honestly, what the what the the nuts and bolts of that decision were. However, I can tell you it was definitely an upgrade in experience. Pasadena has a lot of food around it because one of the things that you wind up doing is wanting to eat. And um, one of the shortcomings, I think, of having the LAX area was the distinct lack of places to eat, um, unless you were creative or brave. But um, Pasadena, it's it's right across. It's like right in Old Town. So it's it's like all you're like right near the main strip in Pasadena and Colorado. And so there's like literally everything under the sun you can eat from as cheap as possible to as expensive as possible and everything in between. Um, so just the food alone was worth was worth the change in venue. Um, Pasadena is a beautiful city. It's a 
we have a beautiful they have a beautiful convention center um i think it's brand new in terms of construction only in the last few years and it, it so everything's modern everything's bright and shiny it's um it's super easy to get to from like the burbank airport it's conveniently located in near many of the southland communities that that made the linux users groups that that spawned scale to begin with so i think for a large portion of the population who is volunteering there it's more convenient for them as well so it's pure speculation but i'm pretty sure that there's some accuracy to that but yeah, no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, I mean, like you go for the people and the experience, but the, there's something that's to be said about such a nice location. I completely agree. And I have had a blast every time I've been there. What speaker lineup can we look forward to this year? Yeah, there's a lot of familiar faces. Rami's going to be there. Jono Bacon's going to be there. Orv Beach, a personal favorite. Josh Burkus, another favorite. Frank Karlischteck is like my personal hero he's talking about something he's talked about before why i forked my own project in my own company but this guy is he's a german guy and he founded nextcloud and owncloud he is sort of the epitome of what a good steward of a free software project is is like and i can't get enough of listening to this guy talk he's he's amazing Mark, do you have any mm -hmm. travel tips? Maybe somebody is coming in from out of state, or maybe they're even coming in from out of the country. I know Scale is a conference that tends to attract international attendees. Uh, what tips and tricks mm. would you have for them coming to California for the first time? Check the weather. It's probably going to be warm. Try to get a hotel close to the convention center because driving in California, in Southern California especially, can be quite challenging. Um, there's plenty, plenty, plenty of stuff in walking distance. So the closer you are in hotel to the convention center, the better off you're going to be. Save room in your bag for swag because there's always good swag. Bring a laptop. Bring something you can hack on. Bring something you want to hack on. And bring something you want to learn about. Because it's, it's not, you're not going to go home with a bag full of brochures. You're not going to go home with a bag full of uh, marketing contacts. You're going to go home with new insights and new challenges and new adventures and, and new stories. Try not to drink too much. It's easy to do because hackers like to drink. But be ready because if you're going to socialize and you're not a very social person, you're, you are in good company. There's a lot of people who you would, who would no, don't normally socialize who are all going to be in the same place so like have an attitude that it's okay to be social with these people because these are your people and you know it's it's funny i don't always find myself in a room full of penguins but when i do i feel like i'm in good company and i feel like i'm with good people because it's nice not to have to explain why i use linux it's nice not to have to explain why what the value of free software is it's nice to just talk about it and talk about what's going on and look around and 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 learn from others and listen to ridiculously intelligent people talking and feel dumb it's great to feel dumb like i have so much to learn that i didn't even realize i thought i was an expert but really i'm just learning it's the best feeling in the world and Remember, that's what you're there for. That's why you. That's why you want to go to. That's why you want to go to any Linux fest is because that's who you're going to be with. People who want to learn. People who you're there to learn from. Bring something to hack because at some point when you're tired of the crowd, because that has this happens to me, you're going to want to sit down and try to either write down or try to implement or mess with something you saw three minutes. It took three minutes and it's so fascinating and you want to spend the next hour on it. 
bring it with you because you're going to want to hack on it. Mark Provit, Community Outreach for Southern California Linux Expo online at SoCalLinuxExpo.org. And I guess this hour on the Ask Noah Show. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the program. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. That's how you can make your voice heard and become a part of the program. Come hang out with me at scale. I've given you a, my personal invitation to come hang out with me. Uh, my whole team is going to be out there. Uh, we're going to be covering the event like we always do. We're going to be filming interviews. I'm also going to be teaming up with my friends from Destination Linux. Some of you know I do another show. It's a video-focused show, so we're going to bring video back to scale and we've done that in the past with some of the other projects and shows i've been involved in we're going to bring that back and bring some cameras out and film some video interviews and those will air on destination linux of course here right here on ask noah we'll have some of the audio interviews that things that interest me personally but we're going to have a get together and I want to personally invite each and every one of you that are going to be at scale to come hang out with me, come get some swag for Ask Noah, come get some swag to Destination Linux, because again, we're going to team up and do this together. Um, now, there's not going to be any other members of Destination Linux present uh, because we couldn't work out the logistics that way, but that's okay. I'm going to be repping the DL crew, and uh, it doesn't really take more than one of us to make fun of Michael, so <laughs> at the end of the day, it's going to work out. Now, I am told... For sure, we're going to have some swag for Destination Linux. There is the possibility, it is in the works, to have a signed poster of Michael's hair. And uh, we may be giving such things away. So make sure to come check it out. Now, we are using an all-new platform. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Meetup. And Meetup's great, except it costs money. It's not open source. And it's a hosted service. So obviously all of those things together mean that Ask Noah can't use it, right? Because we wouldn't be caught dead using something that's proprietary, closed source, cost money, all those bad things. No, we're going to use gettogether.community. Now, gettogether.community is a project you might not have heard of, but it's specifically designed for Linux and open source geeks because it's open source, you can self-host it, and it doesn't cost any money. So... That's the natural choice. We invite you to, to get started. Go to gettogether.community. Go join our group. It's in the Ask Noah sh uh, Show group. It's the Ask Noah Show group. We'll also have a link for you in podcast.asknoahshow.com in the show notes. There you'll have a direct link to the get together that we're going to be having. It's going to be 6 p.m. on Friday at a restaurant, which I don't have in front of my face. It's something 50-50. I can't think of the name. Um, actually, here, I can be a good on-air person. And look it up while I'm on the air. It is um, it is going to be called, just go and throw that anywhere, Slater's 5050, 61 North Raymond Avenue in Pasadena, California. We're going to meet at 6 p.m. local time, uh, that's scale time, uh, and we're going to be hanging out. We're going to be talking about Destination Linux. We're going to be talking about open source. We're going to be talking about geeking. And of course, as Asnoa has developed a reputation for doing, we're going to be giving a lot of stuff away. So make sure to come and join us and hang out and come. Sh uh, let me shake your hand. Let me get the opportunity to meet you. And thank you for listening to the show and participating in the community. We love having you. Also, make sure even if you're not in California, make sure to sign up for gettogether.community because there are going to be more events. This weekend, I am going to be in Arizona. I'm getting on a plane as soon as I am get off the air here. I'm flying out to Arizona. I'm going to be there. If I wind up for some spare time, I might throw together a get-together there and uh, meet with some people around the Phoenix Mesa area. For sure, we'll be doing one when we uh, get uh, out to Linux Fest Northwest. Obviously, we'll do one at scale. And there might even be 
something coming up in the Grand Forks Fargo area, which you'll find out later in the episodes. Make sure to stay tuned for that. It is a little past the bottom of the hour, so we go now to our Linux Newswire newsroom with Eric, the IT guy. Here he is. From the Linux Newswire studio, this is the Weekly Roundup with Eric, the IT guy. Hey Noah, happy to be with you again, and here are your Linux and open source headlines. Six years ago this past week, Steam came to Linux. Since its original release, more developers come to Linux every year. What started out as just a few games has exploded into over 5,000 available titles. Last year, that number grew thanks to the release of Steam Play, helping to close the gap for developers strictly targeting the Windows platform. We saw the Steam Link and Steam Machine come and go. This year looks to be the best year yet when it comes to gaming on Linux. Happy birthday, Linux Steam client. DigitalOcean went to the presses recently with their 2019 roadmap. The VPS provider has seen its biggest year of growth yet in 2018 and is continuing to add to what made it stand out in the cloud space. Originally designed as an affordable server provider, Dio has seen a huge uptick in managed services. With that, they are expanding their support for their managed Kubernetes instances. Upcoming features include cluster metrics, token-based authentication, a container registry, and more. Also just announced, they are our, man- our managed Postgres databases. More details are still to come, but MySQL and Redis have been hinted as well. Finally, they are expanding droplet types by adding high memory offerings in the near future. Uber threw a machine learning gem into the open source community this week with Ludwig. This project's goal is to allow deep learning without writing a single line of code. While this may seem like a daunting task, its original developers say that Ludwig is so easy that it's even a great platform for those interested in machine learning to get their feet wet. When Ludwig is started, raw data is input into the system and can be given a data type. These data types are then encoded and run through a combiner based on flexible and extensible models, an output for the user through predefined decoders. Ludwig and more information for getting started can be found at uber.github.io. While we are all working hard to patch our servers or keep our phones up to date, it is easy to forget that even the simplest of digital data can be used as an exploit. This week, Google announced a major security bug in the PNG format that affects Android 7 or higher. Hackers have been able to hide malware inside images that gets triggered the moment the PNG file is opened. Once triggered, any number of exploits can be used to provide a bad actor with remote control of mobile devices. The Pixel line has been patched and Android partners have been given the customary 30 days notice before the exploits were published. However, this latest vulnerability should bring further attention to the literal hundreds of thousands of devices that will not receive these fixes due to the limited support model that has been accepted in the Android market. For LinuxNewsWire.com, I am Eric, the IT guy. Now, Noah, back to you. Thank you, Eric. Eric joins us usually at the bottom of every hour, but uh, this week we had to bump him down a little bit because obviously this week is packed with interviews. We want to get you the latest information as it relates to Linux and open source uh, technology. As always, you can join the program at one 855 Noah. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at com. We also invite you to join our interactive chat room. I can't tell you specifics. All I can tell you is that there is going to be a giveaway coming up. So if you're not in our IRC chat room, please make sure to join us. We are in free note at pound. Ask Noah Show. Join us there. And there you can participate. Ask your question. Give feedback. Make fun of my voice or my hair. Whatever you want to do. Now, I alluded before we went to our Linux Newswire newsroom that there may be a new lug popping up in the Grand Forks Fargo area. That's because I'm going to start one. Well, not just me, me and a good friend of mine, Peter. Now, Peter has, uh, I met him, I had the opportunity to meet him at Self, 
We've hung out there. He's also uh, attended a couple of the political events that I've done with uh, our buddy Brad Schmidt. And Peter and I are going to start a Linux fest in, or a, excuse me, a Linux user group in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Now, why would I start a Linux user group in the frozen tundra? Well, the reason is every time I talk to those that are most passionate about Linux, they say that the single biggest factor that led to their success on Linux, their enjoyment of Linux, their fulfillment on Linux, and ultimately resulting in every uh, major area of the United States into eventually a Linux fest, it started with a good, solid Linux user group. Additionally, I have been uh, getting pinged from people in the chat room. I've been getting pinged from people in the Telegram group, and I've been getting emails asking if there's any such Linux group around the Grand Forks area. And to the best of my knowledge, there is not. There used to be one in Fargo, or there is one in Fargo, but it's very difficult to find information about it. So we are going to start one, and we are going to meet, to start, we are going to meet the last Tuesday of every month, or the last Friday of every month, excuse me. We're going to meet the last Friday of every month at 6 p.m. Central in Gamble Hall at the University of North Dakota. Now, this is going to open up a couple of opportunities for us because we are in a lecture hall, it means that we have access to a projector and a computer and those kinds of things. So we're going to be able to bring in remote presenters. Obviously, the kind of caliber of uh, Linux geeks that you would get from around the country may not necessarily uh, align with what you would find in, in a tiny little town like Grand Forks, North Dakota, but I'm welcome to be proven wrong. So if there's anybody out there that is like, hey, listen, I am a Linux rock star and I will attend your lug and show you what's up, please, by all means, we're in Gamble Hall the last Friday of every month. At 6 p.m. Central, please show me up. But in the event that I'm right, and it's just a couple of us that kind of want to get together and chat about some Linux, we are going to bring in some remote presenters, people who really know their stuff, people like our friend Bo Wood, who's in the or Bo Weaver, excuse me, who's in the chat room tonight, and uh, and have him maybe give us a presentation on ethical hacking penetration, you know, advol uh, aligned with questions and uh, and having that two-way communication streak. So if you're interested, the last Friday of every month, we're going, going to begin meeting. We're going to start at Gamble Hall at the University of North Dakota. We are not married to that location. So if you so decide or we so decide that we are going to move to a location that maybe has some drinks or maybe has something to eat, we are absolutely open to do that. Bo Weaver says he's interested, but only in the summer. I don't know why it matters if it's remote, but hey, to each his own. If you are going to do it in person, we should absolutely chat about flying you out here, Bo. And we would do that in the summer so you don't freeze to death and turn into an ice school. It's negative nine below out, I think. But if you're in the Grand Forks area, or even if you're not, even if you're just in the Minneapolis area, and you could help us spread the word, we are starting a lug. We are starting a Linux user group in this area because we think it's necessary, because we think this is a valuable way to give back to the community, and it's a valuable way to spread the Linux love. I know that I would have traded everything I owned and everything I had if I would have had a place that I could go to to learn about Linux, when I first got into it, my first experience with Linux was horrendous. I don't know if I've ever told the story on the show. Maybe someday I will get to that. But it was a terrible experience. I installed Linux and nothing worked. And then I couldn't figure out how to get Windows back on the system because it used this weird EXT2 file system. And my restore disk for Windows, I think, you know, whatever, 98 at the time didn't recognize that file system. And so I was unable to put windows back in my system. So I was just left with this Bork system and it was a pretty, it was a pretty poor experience. And, uh, 
by the grace of God, I eventually got through that and eventually stumbled into Red Hat, and which turned into Fedora, and it turned into a wonderful experience, which has now become a passion, which I want to share with other people. But that seems like the way to give back, is to go and invite people who have varying levels of experience, everything from a Linux expert that can teach us something all the way down to the Linux noob who just wants to get started, and uh, and we invite those people to get together. I'm also hoping it presents an opportunity for show content. If we get some cool people that show up to this lug, maybe we invite them on the show and say, hey, you're doing this very cool project. You're doing this very cool thing. I would like you to come on the program and chat about it. Peter, my friend uh, Peter, who is starting this lug with me, I was talking to him today about his day job, and he took a primarily uh, Windows environment and started running Linux in it and started getting his colleagues to run Linux in it because he's a smart guy and he can convince people to do that. So that was pretty cool. And so I, I would love to interface with more of those people. So if you're in the Grand Forks community, if you're in the Fargo community, if you want to make the drive from Minneapolis, you'd be welcome to do so. Obviously, the last Friday of every month, 6 p.m. Central. Again, we will have a gettogether.community page. That will be linked in the show notes as well as a permanent URL uh, for our Linux user groups. That's going to be gfklinux.org. That's G as in golf, F as in Foxtrot, K as in Kilo, also short for Grand Forks, gfklinux.org. Make sure to check it out. Tell us you're coming. Come hang out. I'd love to meet your face. Again, you too can join the program. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. That's how you make your voice heard and become a part of the program. Wooter, I believe is how I pronounce this, writes in and says, I have a NAS and two laptops. One has a large SSD on which my documents are stored, including photos for editing. The other has a smaller SSD and currently none of my documents. I'd like to store all of the files on the NAS, but I'm afraid that I'll see a significant performance drop, especially when the photos are in Digicam. What's the best way to access all of my files, including my photos, from both laptops via Wi-Fi? Best regards, Wooter. Now, there's a couple different ways you can go with this. Uh, I'll start with the easiest, most reliable uh, solution, and that would be something like C-File. C-File is going to keep a replica of both files on both devices. Now, obviously, like you say, if you have a large SSD and a small SSD, once the large SSD can, once your file collection exceeds the limitation of the small SSD, the large SSD doesn't do you any good. So that's not going to be an option there. But if you want bulletproof reliability and bulletproof uh, performance, that's the way you go. Having said that, I edit video off of my NAS and I have edited video off of my NAS using Wi-Fi. So if I can edit video off of my NAS using Wi-Fi, I'm fairly certain that you are going to be edit edit photos off of your NAS using Wi-Fi. The trick is to have good Wi-Fi. Well, how do you get good Wi-Fi, Noah? Well, you'd use the latest standard. Well, you'd use the latest standard that's commonly accepted and tested, and there's equipment out there, which at this point would be AC. But if you go get yourself a Ubiquiti UAP AC Pro, you connect that sucker to a, to a gigabit network, you're going to be able to edit photos, no problem, over Wi-Fi. The only question is going to be how does Digicam handle that and... I have not tried that. I have edited photos in Darktable over a NAS, over Wi-Fi. Absolutely no problem. Um, but I've never tried it in Digicam. So you go ahead and give that a shot. Let me know if that works for you. If it doesn't, I'd love to hear from you. Please write me back live at asknoahshow.com. We go back to the phones. Marco from Portugal. Hey, Marco, thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, I didn't click the button. I'm sorry, Marco. Now you're on the air. Hey, Marco. Hello, Noah. Um, I was asking your call screener. Uh, I was 
I'm thinking about installing Ubuntu, but the non-LTS versions. Do you think there will be upgrade issues between the versions, for example, 18.10 to 19.04, 19.10, or should I stick with the LTSs? How much do you... Um how often do you plan on upgrading your system? How often do you mind saying, I'm going to go through and upgrade to the next version of Ubuntu? I don't know. Every six months, when, uh, six or nine months is when a new release comes out. Okay. Yeah, if you're comfortable with a six to, to nine months upgrade cycle... Um, you're absolutely fine on the point releases. You're going to be okay in the in-between LTS. So if you had told me anything under two years, I would tell you you're fine um, using the in-between point releases. Where you want to stick with the LTS is if you called me up and you said, Noah, my mother has a machine and I'm there once every five years and I set it up for, should I go with the LTS or should I go with the non-LTS? In that circumstance, I would tell you to go with the LTS because you're only going to get security updates for a couple of years on the point release, whereas the LTS, you're going to get them for five years. Um, so as long as you're okay upgrading every so often, especially if you're getting into Linux for the purpose of experimenting and playing with it, then you're absolutely going to want to go with those point releases because you want to play with the newest software and you want to play with the newest bells and whistles. And you're not going to be able to do that on an LTS. LTS is going to be plain and boring and stable and works and all those kind of things. And who wants that? Exactly. Do you think the upgrade process is trustworthy or will I end with a black screen or something like that? No, I think you'll be absolutely fine. You have to remember the most of the people that work at Canonical um, are oftentimes using the in-between versions. They're not just sticking to the LTS because they're playing with the latest thing. And, uh, and so as long as you continue to upgrade, you're going to be completely fine. Where you're going to find yourself in a hole is if you miss one or two releases and then you try to upgrade. That's when people run into problems. But the most tested upgrade path in the world is whatever the last release is to whatever the current release is. I mean, they test the, the bejesus out of that. So you're not going to run into any issues at all as long as you stay up to date and you continually update. Another quick question. Is it possible to install KDE on Ubuntu proper? On it, like a Chromebook? Uh, no, install KDE, the desktop KDE Plasma on, on the regular Ubuntu. Yes. I can change the desktop, or should I format it and install Ubuntu? No, you, no, you can absolutely. You, you, can you install multiple desktop environments on a single uh, install and switch between them? Absolutely you can. And uh, the upgrades will be okay? That is a, a more difficult question. Um, I, I'm still going to go with yes, only because I have a Kubuntu machine that I have also installed GNOME and I've had no issues with. But I will admit that at that point, you're no longer part of the that's the most tested upgrade in the world thing, right? Now you're, now you're, a, you're a sliver of a margin of a user that has multiple desktops. Canonical oftentimes okay. is not going to test multiple desktop environments during an upgrade path. Okay. Uh, can I ask a final question? Sure. Do you know of any guide of to, to configure VLANs on the MicroTik switch? Um, I don't know of any guides. Have you tried using the, uh, the web-based GUI and going through one of their wizards? Uh, no, I haven't. That that would I be. I haven't received the switch. 
Oh, okay. When you when you receive the switch, log into the web UI, start there. That will almost certainly guide you through. If you run into difficulties, then you can start going through and, and, and digging a little deeper. But if you just want to get some basic VLAN set up, um, the, the, uh, the GUI wizards are going to walk you right through that. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Love the show. Have a nice day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for the call. Well, that music means we're out of time, folks. I appreciate you joining me this hour. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Simon Quigley, executive producer of The Ask Noah Show, and filling in as call screener this hour. This hour of the show may be over, but there's more content for you 24-7 at AskNoahShow.com. We'll be back next week, and please, please, please get to that gettogether.community and check that out. We'll have that for you in the show notes. Join us at scale. Join us for the Grand Forks Linux User Group. See you next week. <laughs>